0: This episode of Conjectural Technologies Podcast is brought to you by Conjectech Cigarettes. Are you the science-minded man looking for the right smoke for you? Well, look no further than the Conjectech Cigarette, found wherever plutonium is sold. And while you're at it, why not pick up a nice fresh bottle of Guild of Calamitous Whiskey, I'm enjoying them right
1: now why aren't you actually Beast do you know what song I would Wait. probably give you like if I were going to be serious about it like kind of depending on how it went it would have to be a Beatles song like it, it's, it has to be a Beatles song and uh, like I'm trying to think, like "Let It Be," like something that, uh, or um, uh, oh, "Hey Jude," uh, like just something like it starts off kind of like sad, but gets almost ecstatic at the end. Something with like a prayer quality to it, because like by the time like in "Hey Jude," by the time you get to the na 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 na. Nah, nah. Like, that's such a rising sound. Like, those are sounds that could lift up to heaven. Those are songs that would leave you trailing earth with clouds of glory in your wake.
2: But if it is the bus, will you play, Why Can't We Do It In The Road? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, d- depending on how else you go, let's say you have a fluffing accident, we could play Norwegian Wood.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, college
1: was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> hey man you, you gotta earn a living with that being said shall we welcome our guest to another exciting episode of conjectural technologies a venture industries podcast
3: go team venture Brothers!
2: Gary,
0: nobody cares about the Venture Brothers! People care! Well, just be quiet! All right, fine!
1: People really need to know this stuff. With me, your host, the indomitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companda, Beast Lamode.
2: Hey, how's it going, gang?
1: And we are joined yet again by our resident cruise ship arch nemesis, the man who sneezed under the sneeze guard, the villain.
2: How
0: we doing, guys?
2: Uh, I so, have it on good authority that Vaudevillain actually has uh, created, like, technology to sneeze through the guard. Like, <laughs> it's like quantum phase sneezing. It's really impressive. Like, I've seen the specs. Uh, it's based on some weird Tesla technology. Um, I don't know why it has to go in your butt. That's we what call it
1: the t- he, he, he calls it the Tesla recoil, because <laughs> that's what you do when you see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, sure. Well, I'm gonna go sure. I got nothing else to add on that one.
2: But before we get started, uh, I do <laughs> want to.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? Before we get started, we're 20 minutes into our.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. We're really just warming up. I get it. Um, so. Uh... I want to go ahead and and give a proper shout out to uh, a couple of people. Uh, first off, Mr. Randall Abex. That guy is just the one of the biggest boosters of the show, and cranks out some amazingly funny artwork. The the guy really uh, just loves our show, So thank you so much for listening all time and giving like honest to goodness feedback. And
1: uh, hold want- up, hold up, hold up. I, I I have to give this man a shout out. Hey Abix! <laughs>
2: And all right, so that's how we're doing shout-outs for now. Uh so we need to go ahead and give you like we need to give uh Deep Diver a shout out.
1: It was underwater, so it was hard to hear. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh yeah, Deep Diver has resurfaced and uh he got a listen to the podcast. Um, and then he sent me a microphone for my birthday. It was very recently. A fun fact, I share a birthday with Paul McCartney. So when I got mm-hmm. the, the microphone, it was just the nicest thing. And then I realized in like that split second, he was telling me my mic quality was bad. <laughs> now, okay, this is just maybe this is just me like, you know, being like petty in my head. So when I text him, I'm like, you know, nothing crazy. Like, hey, man, thanks. Really appreciate it. Um, and then he texts me back immediately. He was like, yeah, I was listening to your podcast and, uh, you know, definitely sounded like you could use a nice microphone. So that was a good low level arching for my birthday. Do you remember Dr. Katz? Uh, do I remember Dr. Katz, dude? I'm still listening to Dr. Katz on audible.
1: I'm hugging you, but I'm hitting you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh, bro. Hug. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm hugging you, but I'm hitting you. Yeah, that's uh that that's the dynamic of the relationship, yeah. right there. So is that uh, a Fraser mug or it, just a Seattle mug?
2: It's uh a, well, I mean, aren't they both the same at that point? Um, no, it's a Seattle mug from Starbucks, actually uh, from Seattle because that's where Deep Diver is stationed. That was just coincidental. Uh, I actually meant to have the one with the, the rooster on it, the cock.
1: I would not be surprised if that were the next gift to you from Deep Diver, because <laughs> <laughs> we all know Beast loves the cock.
2: <laughs> it is delicious. I don't. I mean, what do you, what do you want from me?
1: I want to get our show started Fine. by welcoming our guests to the second episode of our Monarch Block, a series that we're calling The Passions of the Monarch. And today, we are covering the second episode of Season 2, airing on July 2nd, 2006. It is the episode that aired right after first episode of Season 2, Palace in the Face of Death, and right before an episode we've already covered, Assassin 9 one And that is the episode Hate Floats.
2: I'm going to go ahead and call it uh, hands down best opener ever on the show. Um, And being a bit of a TV aficionado, I love a good cold open. This cold open was amazing. Um, We really picked this episode because uh, we got a good taste of Monarch and Dr. Mrs. the Monarch. Um And how they're doing. So this is kind of an extension of that. But now we also see how he interacts with his hench folk. Um, I love the
1: way you say hench folk. Like they're like peasants <laughs> in 14th century England. Like I'm
2: trying to re- like put them in their place. Ah!
1: Sooth. Oh, you got another one. That's a 22. That's a 22 time code. So. Uh, that is, uh, yeah, that is just like you. Hench folk is like uh, 14th century England, like Guinevere round up the hench folk tonight we ride. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, all week we've been referring it to, uh, this one as, so you want to be a hench. Uh, Cause I really like the idea of this. We don't get the full blown effect of like the, uh, opening in uh fallen arches of the, the guild video, But I almost like the idea at some point if we could just get, like, the um, how not to be a blunderer's guide to being a henchman video from, like, 1964. Um, It's got to be floating around out there somewhere in the Ventureverse. (laughs) I I believe it is.
1: Well, and... I believe it is. In my I, heart. I
2: really like the idea um, that there is somewhere in the Ventureverse is like a uh, industrial videography company that specializes in hinge training videos. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: These you know, it's like an that. 80-year-old dude with like two 15-year-old assistants, neither of whom are ever there <laughs> on time. And he complains about having to work all the time. His assistants aren't very good, but they're the only ones who get anything done, and they can't get anything done until he leaves, which is why they're there after him. Which is why they're never in when he. You're leaves.
2: right. We should get a like. We should get interns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what color is their clean suit? Not,
2: not student through. green.
1: It's it's Queen etheria. <laughs> you earn opaque opacity. All right. So we open up. Now, I got to tell you, of all the openings, this one was good. This one was good. I'm a huge Gustav West fan. Uh, I remember seeing this for the first time and being just absolutely blown away. Um, And, of course, we also get a uh, a Star Wars reference a little bit later. But for those of you who may or may not remember, uh, in the very first Star Wars movie, 1977, when the Empire is attacking the uh, Corellian Corvette, right at the very beginning of the new hope uh the song that is playing during the empire's attack is based on this song gustav holst's um uh, uh mars bringer of war right so we are opening up and it's on un- it's gary it's henchman 21 not wearing a costume he's sitting in his room at his computer and the phone rings and he answers answers with uh atomic comic collection connection And he finds that it is henchman 24 who has called him up. He's like, I know who you are. Uh, Before they get a chance to talk, the monarch It's getting
2: so good. It's getting so
1: good, man. You're (laughs) practicing. I love it. (laughs) And and 21 21 puts him on three-way. All right. And the monarch, of course, is all, guess what I am now. And I love the answers that both of them give, because <laughs> Gary's like at a good friend's house, and twenty four is like at a Best Western. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Also, uh, I love that they created the the gag that uh, I'm not going to say that what was it? Uh, the Big Bang Theory ripped it off, but like the relationship with Howard and his mother really looks like the same relationship with Gary and his mother.
1: Gary! Phone mm-hmm. call! Uh, Gary is living... Gary is what the Androids dungeon uh, guy would look like in this universe. Like, that's Gary. Gary would, if he were in The Simpsons, would be running the Androids dungeon. <laughs> right? I was
2: gonna say, do you think that they would be best friends or arch enemies?
1: Oh, they would be arch
0: enemies.
2: Definitely.
1: It, it would be a very, like, St. Cloud, Billy Quizboy thing. Like, 100%. <laughs>
2: He'd send him, like, terrorizing so, videos, like, burning first edition comics.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, the Androids dungeon guy, like, comic book guy, comic book man would be sitting there. He'd be like, hmm, I've actually, you know what? St. Cloud's voice is really similar to his. That
0: is true. Oh, yeah, it is. That
1: just Eat occurred the pennies, to me.
2: quiz boy. Eat, eat the pennies.
1: <laughs> Worst episode Parkour. Ever. Parkour, P.Y. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so the monarch is calling from the cocoon we see him sitting right side up in his chair and then the camera rotates sideways and he's wondering why in the world he's sitting in the sideways throne in the charred remains of his cocoon and he demands that 21 and 24 gather the others and meet them there at which point they have to let him know that everyone off has run off everyone else has run off to join Monstroso's crew, and they are the only remaining henchmen he has left. So the monarch, fiery as he is, demands that the cocoon be fully operational and fully manned by the time he gets done with his shower.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the course of events that happens. In the time that he gets like that, he takes out of the shower. Like hey, this is a long shower. This guy really likes to pamper himself. Also, he, he how does. is he taking a shower if it's like on its side? Sideways? What kind of water pressure are we talking? Yeah, <laughs> is this like drinking from the fire hose water pressure in your shower?
1: Yeah, yeah. Th- th- this is uh, this is Stanley Spadowski <laughs> level water pressure. <laughs> oh. So we've got the monarch calling them and. 21 and 24 are crazy excited about this. And we hear 21 start going bum 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 ba bum and it starts to build. And by the time you realize it's holst, he's already walked over and started punching fake buttons on his closet, like beep boop, beep, <laughs> making the sound effects <laughs> as he opens the closet door and he's, like, rifling through his closet to get his costume, and yeah, and of course, like, the soundtrack starts to really build at this point, and, you know, he's getting it on, the music's going, and then we see the Nissan stands oh, whoa, whoa, up, whoa. pull up outside you, you of You missed window. an integral,
2: like, oh. he's, like, you know, parts the coast, Daddy's home. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he, like, whips it out of the thing, like, this is who Gary was meant to be like he's he's this is the phone call he's been waiting for and at this point in the series we've seen him have this talk with somebody like you know what buddy you just wait maybe there was a secret you know uh escape pod or a parachute you'll be getting a call from crime a dial any day now and this is why gary is a believer
1: he got that call gary is a believer gary is a true believer uh and he is all in And as he's getting dressed, he's putting on the finishing touches, making plenty of fake noises (laughs) along the way. And you see 24 pull up in his mom's Nissan stanza. (laughs) And, uh, of course, as Gary pulls up, he is, I'm sorry, as 24 pulls up, he's joining into the music. He's going, ba, ba, ba all right so we're right and honking we're on an audio medium do you think we can do this
2: all right here we go oh wait a minute no 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 scrap it i'm out like we're i can't remember it i watched the episode like four times in a row cracking up to holst and uh i shot my shot here failed miserably not even going to edit it out i'm just going to wear my shame
1: You didn't even fail half-ass. You failed (laughs) (laughs) horse-ass. Worth
2: it for the pun. (laughs) Right.
1: So uh, we've got him honking the horn. And I love that he's doing it in rhythm to the music. And then Gary runs out. You can stop. I heard you the first time. Right? So he hops into the car. And, like, it's building. It's swelling. And then the dog jumps into the back seat and is really excited to be there. Lady!
0: Lady, knows No! was this a relatable moment for anybody else? Because I used to have a dog that would always track me down to the end of the driveway, would try and get into the school bus when I was going to school in elementary school. They, they're, they're so good at honing in on some of these little moments that you might find funny, but if it's you, you're just like, oh, shit, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what
1: my closest uh, relationship to this moment was? It was a Far Side cartoon, uh-huh. and it was a dog sitting in the back seat, leaning out the window, talking to another dog. He's like, okay gonna go to the store and then I'm going to the vet to get tutored.
2: <laughs> I love that like your only venue of relatability is a far side comic.
1: <laughs> um That's... I've spent a lot of time with Calvin and Hobbes on the Far Side, and uh, I have luckily passed that trait on to Hawa. Um
2: so something everybody should know about uh uh Professor Savage should you take up the task of arching him. He is (laughs) deathly allergic of pet dander. Ergo, a part of his personal agenda is total pet liberation. He has never owned a pet. (laughs) He doesn't... That's not true. You've met. You Remember C.D. That is true. And here's the thing. You can tell he loved this cat because he would make his face just puffy and, like, ear itchy and swollen. (laughs) And he would bury his face, like... You'd get off work and it would just like he would just bury his face like he's doing X at a fur factory. Just like, ah,
1: <laughs> dude, fuzz therapy. Well, it's like, yeah,
2: you're, you're also dosing yourself with allergen I, and building I no am, immunity.
1: Although, yeah. And bear in mind, that was after, uh, I think, 10 years of having cats at that point. We briefly had a dog as well. Uh, if you want an idea about how long ago we had a dog, uh, the dog's name was Veda. Because the movie My Girl had come. Oh out. wow,
2: <laughs> that's another sad movie. Like that you're is just a 10 downer 10 today, man. Mood.
0: God damn. <laughs> like heavy, <laughs> from Vegas shootings to oh,
1: I I know. Apparently, uh, funeral the soundtracking passions like... of the Monarch. <laughs> I know, apparently, the passions <laughs> of the Monarch has stirred something deep in my soul. So uh, we then. Jump into our credits. And the cool thing about this was, uh, those of you who may or may not remember, the episode right before this was uh, where we had Everybody's Free, and uh, Brock had to track down Doc, who was running away from him. And Brock eventually finds him at a rave and has to drag him back to real life to deal with what happened to the boys, who had died at the end of the first season. And, uh, of course, we get our intro from that one, and the Venture Brothers are Jonas Jr., And Doc. And this is the first time we get back to Hank and Dean. So that was uh, kind of a fun little moment. And we get to the Venture Compound where the clones of Dean and Hank are awoken for the first time uh, from their learning beds. And what is it? They're talking about like the Grand Coulee Dam. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, why do they need to know this stuff? And he just yanks out the learning punch. So (laughs) uh, I
3: actually,
2: uh, I did a little bit of research trying to figure out if they were giving us uh, a bit of a dating level. Um, So we know that the uh, the information is at least uh, as good as 1942. Uh, The Grand Coulee Dam is still uh, the largest concrete structure in the United States. But now the largest concrete structure in the world is that the uh, the Three Gorges Dam.
1: Yeah. the Three Gorges. Yeah.
2: Um, Also, uh, there is enough uh, concrete in the Grand Coulee Dam to pave a highway from Seattle to Miami. Yeah. Wow.
1: That's really expensive. (laughs) Right. Fun fact. No one goes from Seattle to Miami.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that is. um, We'll just straight up call that like the Rainbow Row of Emotion. It's like you're driving from happiness to uh sadness.
1: Not to say yeah, like they are diamet
2: like, I'm a huge fan of the city of Seattle. Like there's a lot of great stuff here, but the weather is bleak. It's like living in some sort of Nordic detective mystery all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you know what? I would totally watch a documentary or TV show that featured Pitbull from Miami and Dave Grohl doing a cross-country road trip.
2: Well, nobody says no to Dave Grohl. I think
1: so. <laughs> I, would, I would totally buy it And along the way, they just stop off at their friend's house. But their friends are not who you think they'd be. It's not superstars. It's like, oh, yeah, this is Karen. She used to live next to my mom. <laughs> like, she, she likes crochet. Yeah, this
2: this this is is Miss Julia. This
1: is Ted. Yeah, this is Miss
2: Julia. She used to watch
0: me when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Watch you do it. We haven't gotten gotten a Latin American evil organization. Maybe Pitbull is their Dave Grohl to uh, send up here, infiltrate up into America. I like the idea of uh, like a celebrity international spy uh, celebrity type deal. That'd be kind of cool. The Canadians need to get in with somebody because the uh, PP is not uh, representing yet. Mm. No,
2: uh, I I definitely feel you on that, like, uh, knowing that the Guild has its roots in, like, musicians, I definitely feel like uh, it would be good to preempt your involvement, like, planning the end of your career, like, you know, Alanis Morissette's cutting albums, but really, like, she's setting up her new arch, like, that's why you haven't heard anything from Fiona Apple in a few years, Like, she dropped an (laughs) album recently, but, like, she's getting up on that new art.
1: I'm going to step in here real fast. So, in America, the Guild was born out of rock and roll. In Latin America, it would 100% be born out of telenovelas. Either telenovelas or luchadores? (laughs) Luchadores is too on the nose. Like... I feel like it's got to be people who, again, like, these are people who are almost so famous they have to hide their identity in order to achieve true evil.
0: I love the idea of, like, the uh, gathers uh, meeting where they're talking about um, they have their little spy code back and forth, but they don't have the same phrase. And they're just like, ah, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that being <laughs> right. with the, sp- the telenovela people because they would have such better drama back and forth at each other, but then getting pissed off at each other because they don't have the same phrase with each other and just saying forget it. They, 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 Theirs would play much more uh, Theatrically and I could probably arch that Actually live action uh, Arching in a park park larping <laughs> <laughs> It's like
1: yo I grab your gear We're going to do some park larping <laughs> uh, I think No 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 say, I think
2: you can get arrested for doing that In public uh,
1: Not arrested uh, just shot oh. <laughs> um, So we've got The boys being born uh they're like, happy birthday when the boys wake up, they've got a cake, it's lit, it says sixteen, happy fifth I'm sixteenth birthday. <laughs> it's like, hey boys, here are your ID cards. Really? Are you sure these are hard? they look burned? Oh, uh, laminating accident. And of course, it's like, wait, are you sure these are correct? Because if I was born the year that says they're fine.
2: Curiosity killed more than the cat, boy. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and I I love that they they immediately addressed it. So I mean I get the impression that uh Ding the Easy Bake Oven just went off cuz they are celebrating their birthday. <laughs> Again like you said, you know, we we're picking up where we had a, an episode where they toyed with us on the idea of Venture Brothers and uh, now we've get fully baked like fully baked Hank and Dean um, and then that that actually presupposes some stuff that comes like later on down the line. Um, with, like, you know, exactly how
1: old they are. Yeah. Now, we were kind of playing around with this. And if we know that the boys are 16 in 2006, but they have died at least 14 times before, okay? Oh, sorry, 2004. But they've died at least 14 times before. So, that what, what year would you suspect the boys have been born? Well, the... The first time.
2: The gap that they give us seems to be a three-year gap. Even down to, like, the the thing here, and then later on with Myra. um, Like, she brings it up in in some context. Uh, So, I think that they would legitimate be legitimately be closer to 19, which by the way, 14 clone sets in like three years is a lot.
1: <laughs> well, doc is really honest about this. He's like, if you got accident prone kids, you make them wear a helmet. If you've got death prone kids, you keep a couple clone slugs. Yeah, in the I mean, just, I can't
2: imagine the process of going through like, all right, figuring out that like my youngest clone, uh, He had this weird thing where if he like just got bopped on the head a little too hard or if he even got too worked up, um, he would actually like pass out. And it was kind of like a not like a seizure, like you wouldn't necessarily lock up. But I mean, he would just go fully limp and come to find out this was a fairly normal thing. And he's grown out of it like the, the doctor said he would. But figuring that out about him was difficult. So. How difficult would that be to find out you have death-prone children? Like, I have a fainting goat for Um, a child. That was hard
1: enough. (laughs) But, like, finding out your kids are death-prone? Now, you had to know he was expecting this. You had to know that he was expecting this. One does not keep... One does not simply walk into a clone (laughs) fall, right? Like... It takes it takes planning. Like, you have to have this ready to go. So, does that mean that we need to extend backwards our date of the boy's original birth?
0: Well, does it extend back to just the boy's, or does it extend back to Rusty himself? Oh, that's that right. Whole, that's that right. Whole, yeah. I mean, he already just had a clone farm sitting around and realized this is handy, because I'm probably not the first of me, but he clearly has the opinion of, I mean, as long as I've got the same memories roll on. Um... So that
1: would mean the boys were born in 85 plus the three year gap. Possibly. Because all their references are just a tad older, about a decade behind.
2: Okay, let, let's think about the, the cloning process. You have to slowly age up the slugs as the kids are successful and keep living. That's
0: weird. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Like, you have to keep bringing them closer to life.
0: Well, that made me think with the fact that they celebrated it as their birthday. I mean, there's the fun aspect of it just being they were born today, so celebrated as their birthday. But what if the process of, like, actually, because we were discussing how their memories would get stored and put back. What if, I mean, because it's on punch cards, like, we can see that they're doing everything else on. What if it's such a, like, a hard process? If the boys don't age a year, they don't bother to catch all that memory, and you just restart back from the last birthday, sort of like a hard reboot date.
2: Okay. And uh, he, going by what we can tell, which is very little evidence on, you know, exactly mm-hmm. how long, you know, that process takes. The really the only indicator we have to go on about this process, and I've thought about this, is in the episode, you know, uh, Powerless in the Face of Death. Literally the only thing you have to go on is the growth of Doc's beard. Now, as mm-hmm. a, a as a beard connoisseur myself, I take care of my beard. I grow it. I don't do anything crazy like Mountain Manny. Like I, I do tend my beard. So going with like what I I can kind of guess on his growth, I would say it's like a nine-month to a year process. I mean, this is. This is okay. getting pretty close to what he had, and this is a nine-month beard with a little trimming. Okay. Like, I shape it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like there is a correct answer to this, and I feel like we aren't going to get it unless we go to the source. And there's only one source we're going to legitimately get this from, and it is neither of us. So let's abandon this topic for a moment. We're going to stick a pen in this, and we are going to move over to 21 and 24. 21 is in his Monarch Regalia. I'm sorry, his, uh, his hoard of regalia, and he is at a table. He's got a sign behind him talking about hinching, the exciting career of hinching. Uh, 24 is in street clothes, and, and he's in a parka, <laughs> a parka. Now, I just want you to keep that image in your mind for just a moment, uh, because as everyone is having a conversation like, hi, sir, are you a loner with no attachment to friends or family between the ages of 18 and 30 looking for an exciting career? Like, yes, yes I am. And looking course, like Ray point, Romano buying we- weed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like
2: Ray Romano in
1: Central Park at like
2: ten AM, like, hey, hey, do you know where I'd get some weed? Like
1: <laughs> just
2: being really awkward about it. And the hat. The hat is terrible. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh
1: and then other people start crowding around and you realize everyone else is in short sleeves and A shirts. It's warm outside. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, also they're in a. So, um, most of what we see in the Venture Brothers uh, is kind of an outlying thing, right? So you get the impression the compound is somewhere near the four corners, likely in Arizona. The cocoon is in uh, was it the uh, the Grand Canyon? Um, you know, they go at one point to the observatory uh, in Los Angeles. So we're working in like the Southwest corridor. And then, like, you know, it's always mostly, like, rural stuff or compounds. And here they are in the middle of, like,
1: a city in, like, an urban setting. Dude, <laughs> you know as well as I do, it's the California desert. Like, they got, you know, they're not too far away from L.A. or Oakland or wherever. Some type of major mm, city. I don't think no. like it's Northern California. It's no, definitely no. Southern they North. went
2: to Flagstaff.
1: <laughs> That's where they went recruiting. Okay. All right. That that works for me. Uh you know what my favorite part of this whole sequence was? It wasn't the quote sexy action-packed lifestyle of the professional henchman. Uh it was the fact that the sign under the table said in poorly drawn handwritten letters, are you good enough for the monarch? And enough was spelled E-N-O-O-G-H. <laughs>
0: So they did a so, lot of complaining on the commentary track about the um, B or C team animation that came back. Uh, the spelling was off. There was a lot of different things that they were really unhappy with the the, the animation with. And uh, it was really funny because I can't remember who, but one of them had noticed them all and the other one hadn't seen any of them yet. And the one was pointing <laughs> them out every single time as they went There was like two or three different things. He's like, oh, great. I'm never going to unsee that. Every time I see it, I'm just going to see that one little thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, apparently they, they, they were a little little pissed at the animators on that episode.
1: I thought that it was a conscious choice. It had not occurred to me that it was a uh, an artifact it, of it bad It could animation. be one or
0: it could be the other, but they do mention at one point there's uh, some words in the background that are uh, misspelled. I didn't have it noted, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the misspelling that they were talking about because it was fairly early on in the episode.
1: Because if I'm being honest, Gary strikes me as the kind of guy... Who would totally have excellent spelling? And which made me wonder would that those signs were like in a closet, like they'd done a membership drive years before, and someone else had made the signs. It's like, okay, you're handling membership drives now. Hold on to these; yeah. these are our signs. I mean, this is
0: like, <laughs> are these they? Someone who says "are these they" is not going to misspell a nut. Like it just doesn't.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> Favorite are, like solid,
2: yeah. well, well, well proven. No, and I really enjoy the uh, the idea that, like, somewhere in a day's end, there's, like, a hench, like, job fair. <laughs> Monarch crew shows up with their, their bad sides. And here's the thing, you know, yeah. um, doing a little bit of uh, dissecting on Monarch, something we don't give him enough credit for. Um, much like Brock's mullet, that man has been taken down and rebuilt multiple times on this show. When we find him, you know, he's still like, you know, really in the midst of the, you know, golden era of his trust fund arching. But like, you know, blew up the cocoon, rebuilding it. We're good to go. And I mean, we we know that like, you know, after this episode, things are getting to a version of normal and all that's going to keep going. And then that's going to change and he loses it all and builds it back up. And the monarch is the American spirit. Cigarette in the mouth of a uh, <laughs> hipster. <laughs> it's
1: like that was very Hank. What's it like to be a liar, liar <laughs> whose <laughs> pants are continually on fire? Like boy adventurer, son of a famous television star. No, no, liar, liar, pants on fire. Uh, so we've got them recruiting. And they get these guys who are straight out of Compton almost. Uh, They are certainly portrayed to be that way. These are street toughs. They are very clearly going to have a very different relationship with henching than any of the people that uh, 21 and 24 have worked with previously. So the newly recruited henchmen get to the cocoon while 21 and 24 manage to get it functional and floating. And I loved how the monarch found out about this. Because he is finally walking out of his like four day <laughs> shower sideways, okay. Uh, and I love that he's got his like terry cloth robe, and he's got his hair done up. You know how like some women do their hair, and it, the towel looks fancy on their head. Like he's got. fancy I love the way you say some women
2: like you don't.
1: I man, I got long hair. I own it, but mine does not look fancy. Like, that's a difference. When I pull my hair up, it's not in a man bun. It's a top knot. Man buns are trendy. Top knots are lazy.
2: (laughs) Are you calling Samurai's lazy?
1: Uh, No, I'm saying I'm lazy. (laughs) I do not have time for high maintenance hairstyles, which is why I have But yeah, when you get
2: out of the shower, I've seen you do the towel thing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, hey, I didn't think we were going to talk about that today. Um, When it comes to, uh, you know, yeah, like, but again, I throw it up because you want to wring it out, right? So you throw it up, you wring it out, and then you throw it back. That is what the monarch is wearing is not what mine looks like. Mine looks like a towel is eating part of my head. (laughs) The monarch's looks like it has been done. His towel looks quaffed.
0: Fluffed, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Pert.
1: So at that point, as he's walking, of course, he's got his bucket full of shower supplies, which if you've ever lived in a barrack situation, you got to have like you have to have that. Like you got to have your box of supplies. You got to have your kit and your shower shoes so that when you go, you've got everything you need to do your stuff. And then when you emerge four days later, you can get knocked (laughs) off your feet when the cocoon reasserts normal, uh, normal um um uh not aspect um attitude right so So you can relate to
2: that but you can't relate to a dog jumping in your car
1: (laughs) i'm a man of mystery
2: (laughs) you are a rubik's cube sir
1: (laughs) so uh at this point the monarch is absolutely surprised uh he gets out and he's talking to 21 and 24 and the monarch is completely stunned to see that the henchmen actually competently did what he asked they have stocked up the staff they've stocked up the horde they fixed it uh 21's like oh yeah uh these guys uh were able to steal parts of sergeant hatred's hover tank right so that's how they were able to get the monarch back up and running um and of course at this point he starts revealing his grand plan which is going to be Operation Get Back, <laughs> Doctor Girlfriend! Okay? Uh, and it appears that they do not share the same level of enthusiasm for the Monarch's plan as the Monarch himself or even 21 or 24 do. Well, let's be um, honest. This is, of a, course... a,
2: like, a slight abuse of arching. Like, um, I'm sure that there's some, like, Hinch union rules about, like, arching for, like, personal reasons. Like... I can't be sent out to go arch your ex girlfriend. Uh, that's an uncouth thing. I can't be sent out to arch ex employers. Like you can't send me on these missions.
1: You can't arch other members of the guild either, right? Like I guarantee that's a thing. Well, I mean, right? like I... it's the thin magenta
2: line. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I. I... Part of me wants to believe that there is like an uh, an honor code but it, at the end of the day they they still are super villains like you know you, they do all the the little trappings to make it feel like you know a mundane office job but i mean how long has monarch been technically arching sergeant hatred with like zero impunity until like sergeant hatred takes it into his own hands and decides to like arch the hell out of them
1: bureaucratically, right? The Monarch is not officially part of the Guild yet. The Monarch is a rogue actor. The Monarch is actually not beholden to any of these laws. Uh, I get the impression that the Guild is kind of like the Catholic Church and that that's why so many mobsters are Catholic because it doesn't matter what you do in life as long as the moment before you die, you just say, my bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> And it's kind of the same thing with the guild. It doesn't matter what you did up to that point. The second you join the guild, you got to be like, yo, that was in my past. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can't we just let bygones be bygones? That's water under the bridge. I'm sorry I ate your Labrador Retriever. (laughs) Well, you know that tracks.
2: uh, Because later on, when Phantom Lim is excommunicated from the guild, the first thing he does is find Manotar and start enacting, like, revenge on, you know, the people on his shit list.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we've got uh, the monarch explaining this, and we've got 21 and 24 saying that they want new numbers, like maybe one and two, or possibly two and one, <laughs> at which point uh, the monarch is like, okay, watch, uh, you know, the boy's like, watch this, henchman number one, uh, henchman 28. like, you call me number one.
2: You bring your fat (laughs) ass over here.
3: (laughs)
1: Yeah. And uh, uh, the monarch is surprised. like, that shows initiative. And, of course, the guy shows up and he's wearing the monarch's crown. He's like, what are you wearing? Get that off your head. And then, who was it, 21 is like, is that weed I smell? (laughs) (laughs) So we can see that things are not going great for the monarch, even though everything is going great for the monarch. Um, We also bounce over to the mall where Dr. Venture is taking Dean to get his surprise birthday present. And uh, to Dean's eternal chagrin, uh, the present turns out to be a jumpsuit. Whoa, whoa,
0: speed suit. Excuse yourself. There
1: you go. Which Dr. Venture insists is a speed suit. Um, By the way, I loved this. The stream of words that exit Doc's mouth at this point. It's like speed suit. What's a speed suit? Only the perfect tablet for the science minded man who knows both comfort and ease and demands them from his clothing. <laughs> it's for the man who says, look out. I know what I'm wearing for the rest of my life.
2: And uh, my favorite part about this is um you get the impression that Dean's is a brand new version of Doc's faded one. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 You know, Doc's was originally the yeah, like
2: <laughs> right.
1: it didn't start off blue. It was speed red. suits
2: for when you have to take off all your clothes to take a poop. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> they actually referenced that a little later <laughs> in the episode when the Monarch and Doc are going at it. He's like, "What? They have the little pat, the little buttons on the back so you can drop your George and you oh, dude, and pee. I love the
2: mocking like so you can make poopies." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh we've got doc buying Dean a speed suit. And I loved uh the word that he used here which is uh habilitant. And uh I'm sorry, habilitant, which is a French word for empowering. Ooh. I know. Like it was excellent. I'm going um, to like it. And a of course we get <laughs> <laughs> right. So, we get we get uh, sorry. Uh, we get... You keep saying. Uh, eventually, we're going to get there. I know. What have we got? Uh, then we get... I, I got distracted. There were snuggles. Uh, so then we get... We get... We get... We get... <laughs> phantom Limb and Dr. Girlfriend showing up at the shopping mall. Uh, and of course, the Monarch's Cocoon is tailing them in the parking lot, and we get our great, uh, Star Wars reference. <laughs> That
2: wasn't a very good Star Wars reference. That was Mandalorian.
1: (laughs) What, you don't speak Ithorian? Well played. Touche. Which, that was clearly Ithorian for fly casual. Okay. (laughs) Stay gold.
0: Sorry, I I didn't get the dialect. It was all funky.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sorry, the prepositions were a little (laughs) off. So. Uh, Of course, he's worried that they're going to be seen. He's like, fly casual, fly casual, which for those who didn't catch the reference, uh, that was from Return of the Jedi when they're going to the forest moon of Endor and they've got to pass through the second Death Star shields in order to get down to the surface and they've got to pass by uh, Darth Vader's command ship, uh, the Devastator. And as they are like, what, what are you laughing at me for? No, I'm,
2: just, I'm so, just imagining like, you know, the, the spaceship just go in where, just be casual. Just. Yeah.
1: Just, yeah. In space, no one can hear you whistle. So we got yeah. that. And, uh, then we get, uh, we get the, uh, we bounce back to Dean in the store and, uh, Oh wait, I'm sorry. Uh, we've got her uh, Sheila walking there and she's like, Hmm, she turns around. And of course they managed to duck out of the way with the cocoon and (laughs) uh, a preposterous premise, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me just hide this cocoon behind this tree real fast, this giant cocoon behind the small tree. Um, And she's like, Oh, nothing. I thought I forgot something. It's like, Oh yes. And then locks the car. It was so mundane watching those two in a relationship was just the exact opposite of what you want to see your parents' relationship be like.
0: Yeah. It was a cold, emotionless almost, and it was just um last resort feeling on her part. Well, yeah, I mean, right.
2: having a fair British background, Vaudevillain, uh, that sounds like a very typical marriage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wow, was that your Star Wars? Was that your R2-D2 impression? I didn't catch the <laughs> dialect.
2: He's malfunctioning. I like, like I, I hit him yeah, right in the culture. Say, like, I think Forster he just broke Von <laughs> I was
0: like, oh, half thought, nope, that... Um, no, that actually is fairly accurate for over there. Um, well, I mean, again, yeah. I'm only going by the... Uh,
1: I like a relationship that reminds me of cold-boiled cabbage.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm only going by what I know from... Uh, the Monty Python uh, meaning of life. Uh, the, the Catholics versus the Protestants. <laughs> right before you lead to every sperm is
1: sacred. So we've got Dean trying on his speed suit. And Doc is so proud when he puts it on. Dean's got a red speed suit. It's got some like piping on it. Uh, Doc is getting crazy handsy like parents do when you're trying on clothes. And his hands are just... Like Dean is wildly uncomfortable. Oh yeah, he's getting like and the TSA the, pat down. Like Yeah, he's like, you want about six inches, you want it to fall about six inches below your natural end scene. Like <laughs> giving him like the cup check. <laughs> right? And it's like, how do you feel? I feel like I look like Santa's magic janitor. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got Phantom Limb and Sheila uh in the store, and Phantom Limb is like, "Oh, uh, you know, we'll have a dinner party to celebrate." uh To which Go- Dr. Girlfriend is not thrilled at the idea, and he's like, "I will begin a marinade. <laughs> <laughs> we'll invite Manta Claus and Animus, and then you know, he's like, I actually had to look this up. Uh, he's like." Uh, what is it? Uh, like, sir, the lady would like to examine the Wusthof knives. Oh, dude,
2: I love Wusthof right? uh, cutlery. I
1: really do. <laughs> so I had to look it up. I'd never even heard of it before. We don't have fancy knives. A two-pack of knives, a two-pack, not a three-pack, not a set, not a block, is $150. Just for two Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's knives.
2: also, like, because I, I think I looked at the same set. That is two different sizes of high quality Santuco blades. Like this is a this is a thing.
1: Yeah, but that's only Santuco, not Santrico.
0: <laughs> <laughs> From the man who brought you five attude. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, see, here's the thing um, Father's Day was very recently In, in terms of uh, the, the past couple of recordings And so, like, the dad joke batteries Are charged for the year <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Dude>. <laughs> um, I do enjoy Clever Wordplay, which is one of the many reasons I enjoy the Venture Brothers Because we have talked I actually struggled with which word I wanted to be the word of the episode, and uh, we've got another couple that we're going to come across, and we will we will discuss them as we get there. But right now, as Hamilton is discussing pickle forks, like do you, you know she's going to go get some Nosh, and uh, she's obviously not into shopping for a dinner party. She's like, "You want to come with me?" It's like, and some of the embarrassment of not having enough pickle forks. Uh, it is clear that they are on very different levels. Uh, Doctor girlfriend leaves to go to the food court, but there she is confronted by the monarch who runs up to her, grips her and leans in and starts blinking against her cheek. And she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, butterfly kisses. I learned it in prison.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very recently uh, on Twitter, um, and I forget who it was because it, it wasn't, like, posted to to our Twitter. Um, it was just something I came across where they did, like, swole prison buff Monarch. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, they just did some fan art about, like, buff Monarch. And uh, it, it's captivating, disturbing. Like, it haunts your dreams.
1: Um, I am looking for this as we <laughs> speak. And... All I'm getting, I'm not getting any pictures of the Monarch. uh, (laughs) Did you, you went to Google and put like swole Monarch? (laughs) I put swole prison Monarch. Uh, (laughs) Like, (laughs) Hey man, it's been working out pretty well. Um, I have found some truly unique search results, (laughs) including a stereoscopic viewer and a bunch of roided out dudes relaxing on chase lounges. (laughs) Uh, what appears to be a DVD of Shawn Michaels' Heartbreak and <laughs> Triumph, and uh, a blonde-haired picture of Hitler, a book cover of William Shakespeare, and uh, a woman with a butterfly that has attached itself to her ear and is trying to drink nectar out of her lobe.
0: How'd you get into my junk drawer? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh Oh, th- so, so the many FBI things. is going to have a great so, time
1: checking out that list. Like, <laughs> I, right. Um, so <sighs> as the monarch is trying to convince her, right. Uh, the mon- they sit down and the monarch's obviously bearing his soul. He's like, please, please come back. There's just so many. Buttons. <laughs> and she's like, what do you want? It's like, what? And he immediately switches. Right. Like he's he wasn't genuinely upset. He's like, don't you want to console me? Is it she follows back up with what because your tree fort is falling apart? <laughs> oh, <laughs> right?
2: dude, and I love that line. Uh, because I mean, like at the end of the day, let's call it what it is like Monarch's a trust fund kid, you know, he, he, you know, this is his floating cocoon tree fort. You know, he gets to go out and you know, play fight and do some stuff. Uh,
1: dude, the monarch is Richie Snitch. Okay. <laughs> Who's Richie Snitch? Not, not, not Richie Rich.
0: Ah, wordplay. Oh, oh, okay.
1: Wow. Any the dad jokes time are on. I have to explain a joke. That is bad. I- I'm apologizing on behalf of my three children. See, this <laughs> is this for is why you a... need to
2: adopt my my policy. Because if you lean into it, there's no such thing as a bad joke. Here, I'll deliver it. All right. So he's like. Richie Snitch. Get it? Snitch. Because he was in prison. Huh? Huh? Yeah, no, it's all punishing to everybody and I'm having a great time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My head was still stuck on Steve Bader from the last episode, so I was trying to figure out the real reference on that. I was totally not looking for the pun whatsoever. (laughs) Beast, it just (laughs) occurred to me. Beast it just occurred to me that your entire concept
1: of humor is built around uh, Alex Baldwin's uh, sex therapy book for couples. Get yours.
2: <laughs> yeah, who's Aziz Ansari has a great joke about like he walks into Kanye's house and Kanye's sitting on the couch and he's listening to like his own albums and just like he's feeling it and so Aziz Ansari says to him he's like you know that'd be like if I just You know, sat in my house listening to my comedy album was going, (laughs) and
1: uh, that's what I do with
2: this podcast.
1: I'm fucking delightful, (laughs) right? So whenever you bring a girl over and you really want to impress her, it's like, nah, baby, check out episode. Oh no,
2: I'm totally that guy. Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's worth taping. Well, before
2: it was like, all right, we're gonna watch episode nine of Twin Peaks, and then I would watch them watching episode nine. Uh, to see if they noticed the things I know. and then yeah it was a whole process, so just bringing them in and having them laugh at me laugh at myself so much easier
1: dude, the worst date idea I ever had was okay actually that 's not true, so normally, you remember back in the day you guys, you know you and your, you and a girl you 're going to stay in you 're going to go get a movie, you go to the video store that 's back when there were video stores, you go look around and I should have known this date was, it wasn't really a date. We were just going to be hanging out at her place. I should have known that this was going to get weird when the movie she picked was silence of the lambs. Who was (laughs) this? Pick it on my favorite movie. Uh, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) My brother, my brother used to go to sleep to Hannibal and I was yeah. like, oh, "Dude, you go to sleep to this?" He's like, "His voice is so soothing." I mean, he is like <laughs> the Richard Attenborough of murder. Uh, right. no, before know,
0: this, I was wearing with my Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I got the shirt where it's just uh, the camera looking up at Bill with him holding the dog, and I've just got that on an all-black shirt. I was wearing <laughs> that bow <both> here.
2: <laughs> it puts the lotion on the skin. <laughs> That was one of my favorite Joe yeah. Dirt jokes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, fine, but I think I'm moisturized enough. Like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you get my magazine? Like... <laughs> I, I did not expect Joe Dirt to make an appearance on this podcast. Nope. We keep it classy. <laughs> all right. With the classiness being abandoned left and right, we see the monarch abandoning it, too, because he's trying to convince Sheila that he wants her back. And he finally admits that it's because he loves her. As the two are talking, uh, he gets a call on his uh, on his ear monitor from uh, the henchmen who have just spotted Brock and the family. I'm sorry, Brock and Hank shopping together. And Brock and Hank, it's like, you see Brock and Hank, and Brock just opens up, like, we kind of jump in media res, and Brock's like, because I need a new one, while he's holding a cough gun. (laughs) (laughs) And I also, I love uh, that you actually, um, if you pay attention
2: to Brock in this episode, his mullet is, like, mid-growth. Yeah,
1: it's not right. His mullet is way up. Well,
2: because he shaved it off for... um, the end of season one Um, that was actually a reoccurring thing I think we brought it up on one of the earlier episodes like uh, that was a thing they did for a while was take down Brock's mullet and I think this is like the only time we ever see an in-between
1: so uh, Hank of course is playing with a football in the box uh, setting up a theme that will recur later and throws it to Brock who of course catches it because why wouldn't he uh, and while Hank is denying knowing anything about how his other caulk gun got <laughs> broken, <laughs> right uh, now this I identified with. <laughs> right, I may not have been able to get the dog jumping in the back of the car, but this you this identified got with this. the caulk. I one hundred percent you, you identified um, with the cork. and of course I love the. Did cork. you uh, did you so, taste the caulk? Uh, no, it had already dried by that point. What are these hard, crusty things all over the costume? <laughs> Tears. <laughs> <laughs> My tears. <laughs> so the henches have spotted Brock and Hank shopping. And they call in and we get this wonderful sequence where the monarch is carrying on dual conversations. And he's trying to tell the boy or tell his henchmen to move in to capture them. And he's like, I want you to move in. And Sheila's like, wait, you want me to move in with you? No. I mean, yeah. yeah." Of course, he realizes this is not going well (laughs) because Sheila was just giving him grief about his pathetic arching of Dr. Venture. And he's doing it while he's trying to tell her that he's not. He's like, nah, baby, I'm off the sauce. Give me some of that sweet, sweet Trank. You know, <laughs> like he's...
0: I got to stop it right here because I feel like they're also hitting a moment with the way that the mall looks and the very almost saved by the bell feel of the... It, it really kind of struck me that way, just a little bit, the vibe of the mall. The, um, they're going off the classic sitcom trope of like the person on a date and they've got the earpiece in with the guy feeding lines and it always... Yeah. The, everything goes completely wrong. But they just kind of yeah. subvert the um, the trope enough where it's not blatantly obvious because he's not getting fed the lines. But as soon as I pick that up, every time I rewatch it, I always just kind of like look back to uh, it, it's always a different sitcom episode because so many of them did it. But that that storyline idea.
2: Well, and you get to see uh, well where Sheila's at really because uh, this is diametrically opposed to her disinterest in what Phantom Limbs got going on like you know phantom limb is throwing dinner parties and not really doing like the hardcore arching and then on the other side of that like monarch is obsessively arching um and so you know she's kind of uh in that like space in between kind of figuring out which one she really wants and i love that they had this conversation mm-hmm. um very quickly like i wish they would have almost uh given us one less scene in between uh the conversation with her and Hamilton versus her and uh, the Monarch. Can we, can we call mm-hmm. him Malcolm now? Is that a, like, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, thing? we're calling, we're calling yeah. Phantom Limb Hamilton. I mean.
1: <laughs> and, and we're calling Dr. Mrs. Uh, Dr. X girlfriend, Sheila. And we're calling. Yeah. But of, of course he's not really Malcolm. He is the Monarch.
2: You know, that's true. Uh, one of my favorite episodes of Batman Beyond is uh i forget who the crim like who the baddie was in that episode but they're trying to drive bruce wayne crazy and make him give up control of wayne enterprises and then like you know uh the episode plays out come to find out he's not crazy and terry mcginnis who was wearing the bat mantle at this time is like well how did you know that you weren't crazy he was like, because the voices in my head called me Bruce. I haven't called myself Bruce in years.
3: <laughs> like the internal monologue
2: in in Bruce Wayne is Batman. And I feel like, you know, that's the same mm-hmm. way for the monarch. Like that. You're right. Like Malcolm is the disguise.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we've got Dr. Girlfriend getting incredibly frustrated. She gets up to leave. And the monarch starts yelling very childishly, I am an
3: adult! (laughs) Right?
1: (laughs) So, um, Phantom Lim arrives at the scene and kind of rushes in. The monarch, he flips out. He tranks Dr. Girlfriend um, as Phantom Lim is approaching. This is actually the moment when we get my favorite reference in the entire episode. Did you guys catch what it was?
2: Um... Okay. Well, first off, let's touch on the fact that this is where we find out the wings are actually functional.
0: No, we haven't made it there yet. Uh, number two with fried rice down. <laughs> oh, you guys didn't. You guys didn't catch it, did you?
1: Every single person in the mall was one of the jurors from the episode we did last week. What? But... <laughs> I mean, the, yep. The guy with the rice was the guy that I mentioned in last week's episode. Who had Hank's shirt with the green jacket?
2: Interesting.
1: Okay. It had blonde with the red dress. Every single person who was a juror was a patron of that mall, including Star Wars guy or Star Trek guy, balding Star Trek guy.
2: Well, and uh, that's something uh, we've talked about before: is how you know at this point in the show they have like limited—I say limited budget, but really like it's just a good uh, animation tactic to not to reuse character models. Um, So, I mean, I think that that's what that was, is maybe they only had like 12 different character models to go on.
1: Oh, I'm not saying that it was a conscious choice per se. I just I had never noticed it before. And if we hadn't just watched (laughs) The Trial of the Monarch, I wouldn't have caught it. Uh, But during The Trial of the Monarch, I paused and I took special note of who was there. Trying to see. even Asian guy number was Number two there,
3: with
2: fried rice, yeah. Right?
1: Well, that's not the guy who had the number two with fried rice. That was a uh, green guy, oh. Hank shirt, or Hank shirt with the green jacket. So that was my favorite callback from the entire episode. Um, so we've got Phantom Limb coming at them. Uh, and at which point, the monarch spreads his wings, and then we get the big reveal that they actually work. And he takes flight, holding Dr. X-Girlfriend in his arms barely managing to get away from phantom limb hamilton as he comes in uh so at this point we then get to jump over to dean being seen by brock and hank for the first time and dean just says don't you say it and hank says you look like the mayor of Candyland. <laughs> <laughs> which i actually played that the other day with my clones
2: and got this shit kicked out of me I wasn't trying to lose like I'm I'm being honest about this because I could not vent this at the time. But, like I was just, I was trying hard to win and wasn't Candyland is savage. OK, like me and Professor Savage, we enjoy a good game of risk. And that is uh, very intense and can be like, you know, very, very rabble rousing. It's a it's, it's great time. But like Candyland is just fucking cutthroat like I'm. I'm still salty about it.
1: (laughs) Do you know what one of my favorite games of Risk was? And I know it's going to be one of your least favorites. Do you remember playing back at the apartment, uh, the one over on Colonial? And uh, it it was me, you, and Savvy. (laughs) Let me tell you what this does.
2: Right, and this, like, they've made it a lot harder um, with the the difference in risk boards and paths. But on a traditional risk board, what, like, what what, uh, Savage likes to do is find a corner, preferably Australia and Oceania, and just build up and build up and then just erupt across the board the whole time you've been fighting somebody else.
1: Like, it it is... uh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me explain how this game went really fast. I'll do it very quickly. So I would conquered every other territory except for two territories where I had blocked <laughs> Beast in with Sabby. And them, I, I made them bite to the death. <laughs> it's the same laugh. It's <laughs> the same laugh. <laughs> and then I ate the winner. <laughs> so it's a lot like a lobster party (laughs) um so (laughs) so we've got the monarch's henchmen who are going to take down brock uh how they're going to ambush the boys they're going to ambush the boys and the venture family um and brock sees this he's like boys get back and knocks them down the escalator uh the monarch who's flying with sheila the fight breaks out uh they get dr venture gets hit and you see him get bloody and you see his hands and of course he's trying to find his glasses uh hank and dean have been knocked down the escalator we've got uh dean trying to run up the escalator and he's got the football still in the box and he's running up he's like all right hank here's your one chance okay and he throws the football at the back of the head of one of the henchmen thinking that it's going to do oh, 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 something hang on. <laughs> i actually
2: did a lot of research for this so hank's running and he got and he has the ball and he chucks it and he's, and before he throws it he's like all right duffy moon you can do this so duffy moon <laughs> this was so fucking weird <laughs> i recommend the hell out of googling this um Duffy Moon is a character from a 1976 ABC after-school special called The Amazing Cosmic Awareness of Duffy Moon. Now, I didn't have enough time to watch the whole 45-minute special, but from watching the trailer and reading a few things, uh, I
1: will be going back. Um, I am looking at pictures of this right now, and... There's a picture of him with like some sports tape under his right eye blowing his face up. And apparently that is the image that everybody loves. Yeah, from so uh, <coughs> the trailer
2: is, is like the little snippet they show you is so bizarrely weird. So this kid named Duffy Moon uh, apparently buys a book. The book has like magical stuff and there's this like crow on his head. And based on the synapses, somehow the crow shows him the magic was inside him the whole time. <laughs> but, like, the book talks to him. And it says, you can do this, Duffy Moon. One of the things the book tells him to do to conquer adversity, i.e. bullying in this particular instance. Because it is an uh, after school special. Um, he talks like a robot to them. I didn't see this particular scene, but you can see him gearing up for it in the trailer. He talks like a robot. People will like me. People will accept me. And then his buddy comes up. He's like, uh, yeah, that's right. how
3: that works.
2: The only thing I remember in terms of like the idea of after school specials, which is actually something vaguely referenced in this episode is the PSAs at the end of G.I. Joe.
1: Because knowing is half Bingo. the
2: best. Um, and uh, it's one of those like I grew up just outside the the era of the good old-fashioned after school special, so they started tacking them on at the end of cartoons. And then some brilliant guy on the internet in the the early days back when like the internet was uh mostly just like manipulated videos and like cats and sweaters and stuff, um, they took the old G.I Joe PSAs and voice like did voiceovers. Uh, And one of them was pork chop sandwiches. And that's the shirt Gary's wearing at the beginning of the episode is pork chop sandwiches.
1: Yes, it is. And you know what actually just occurred to me? So during this fight, Doc gets his eye knocked out of its socket. Uh, One place referred to this as globe luxation. Uh. (laughs) Um, And with with the Duffy Moon reference and the raven under his hat... Uh, I wonder if this isn't an incidental ode to Odin. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Because Odin gave up his eye for knowledge. And Hank is about to learn that Nerf don't do shit. (laughs) (laughs) Because the football hits the back of this guy's head. He's like, damn you, Nerf, because it does nothing. The dude turns around to shoot him and shoots him right in the belt buckle. Okay? Dean is knocked backwards down the escalator that he was running up. I'm sorry. Hank falls backwards. Dean is trapped at the bottom. The extra six inches (laughs) underneath his inseam has gotten caught in the escalator like that kid from Mallrats, (laughs) right? So he's sitting there, and he can't get up. He's trapped. It's eating his crotch, and... Hank falls right on him, and they are trapped there. Right at that moment, the bullet goes up, almost hits the monarch, who drops Sheila. She falls right onto the boys, still passed out at the bottom of the escalator. Uh, The fight continues to escalate. Brock gets shot by one of the henchmen, and the commotion eventually causes uh, mall cops to arrive, at which point he yells, henchmen, retreat! Uh, The monarch and his boys They leave with Dr. Venture in tow. Phantom Limb shows up just in time to see the monarch leaving and swears vengeance. Then he sees Brock lying severely bleeding on the ground. And, uh, of course, we go from there into our break. And this pause allows us to wake up within Brock's eyes. And he sees that he is someplace unfamiliar. He wakes up in the lair of the Phantom. He's got bandages all over him. And Phantom Lim gives a great speech here at the beginning. Uh, and then he's like, uh, Brock's like, you really enjoyed that, did he? He's like, oh, yeah, the Welcome to Hell speech is my oh, favorite.
2: Second only device. to the Behold My Giant
1: Death Ray. <laughs> yeah, Behold My Giant Walking Death Ray speech. Uh, I love the thing here. It's like I, t- I-, I removed the bullet. <laughs> along with three others a blow dart sh- two shark's teeth the tip of a bayonet a twisted paper clip and several pieces of buckshot you
2: may want to <laughs> learn how right? to do it gotta...
1: <laughs> yep um so uh hamilton is operating here under the assumption that the monarch has kidnapped the venture family and doctor girlfriend uh with a common enemy between the two of them uh they agree to team up uh and they actually work fairly well together throughout this episode. Um, however, we bounce from there over to the cocoon where the monarch is lecturing the henchmen about being hotshots. Hotshot young Turk up. No, 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 no. Starts. Whoa, whoa, They're whoa. all lined up.
2: Young like hotshot Turk 182s. Now, <laughs> do you know, like, do you, do you get the 182, the Turk 182 reference? Uh, it was actually a 1985 film starring Timothy Hutton. Uh, it is actually, yeah. Wow. Um, I've actually seen this movie prior to this episode. <laughs> like uh, when I was a kid. Um, and it's uh, Timothy Hutton plays a character who uh, his brother's a...
1: is called no. Turk?
2: Um, I forget his character's okay. name. But he takes the name Turk uh, 182, right? Um, because his brother was a firefighter. And somebody, like, it was a dirty pension scheme. They lost all their money. So this guy goes around doing a bunch of, like, Banksy-style, like, vandalism and graffiti. And he does, like, use the the tag name Turk182. 182, 182 being his uh, brother's, like, badge or ladder number. Um, I forget. And they used to call him Turk. Uh, like, his brother Turk. Because he was, like, you know, the young new guy. Um, it was actually, like, a really uh, fun... Um, you know, kind of uh, 80s movie, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, if I remember correctly, Kim Cattrall
1: plays the female lead. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so we get from there to the monarch doing a really bad job of cursing out his henchmen. He asks for their guns <laughs> and they don't respond well to this, <laughs> well, do they?
2: The thing about asking somebody for a gun if you do not also have a gun, and I think it, like, should be implied that your gun might even should be bigger than their gun. But, like, yeah.
0: 100%. He,
1: he's just rolling up with his poison dart bracelet. <laughs> yeah, that's not going anywhere useful. I just like how this uh, so... <laughs>
0: firmly establishes in the Venture universe, though, that, like, there is real-world, like, how we know street gangbangers – Coexisting with people doing arching and stuff like that, like this isn't a purely arch universe. They clearly live in the same world we live in. I, I just love the idea that there's these people following rules and doing that whole thing, while at the same time the Colombian cartel is operating. Like, and they have to have intermingling things that come across with each other. And I just, I, I, I like the idea that this is completely grounded real world while still being, oh, ooh what arch level would you give pablo escobar that's what i'm saying yeah. like they have to have like they have to be looking at the other people and being like damn that's like a 15 we don't even fuck with that that's why we stay we stay below a 10 like 10 actually isn't the ceiling it's the limit to stay in their game in good <laughs> state yeah you have to be it's all civil i mean you show up you get your form signed like uh uh hatred showing up and like can we just sign this one off like you've (laughs) got to be able to maintain that level of civility with someone but once you start you know chopping necks and pulling tongues out and you can't be doing that at an arch level that's that's real crime we don't do real crime yeah they do like that's why the
1: osi exists
0: to maintain other level they
1: the osi
0: absolutely
1: do this like this is like, I, I don't know who's going after Pablo. Like, part of me feels like this is where that cop with the jetpack and the devil That's make really their attitude guy. comes I
0: mean, in. We well, and that was big. the whole
2: point of Sphinx. Uh, <laughs> the second iteration of Sphinx, remember? We're back
0: to this again. <laughs> yeah, like,
2: Hunter breaks it down. It's like, you know, if somebody in a costume is pointing a ray gun at you, you know, you call the OSI. If, like, you know, a regular crazy guy is pointing a ray gun at your daughter, you call us. Which is a great A-Team reference, by the way. But yeah. like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, you get the idea that Sphinx would be the guys to kind of move in on dudes like Pablo Escobar, Idi Amin, um, you know, guys like that who... Red Sun Superman. <laughs> Red
3: Sun, oh. Superman.
2: <laughs> <What>? Injustice <laughs> Superman, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean... Uh, I like the idea that those two worlds do coexist, but the idea that, like,
1: they're, I, I guess, you know, was it, uh, dude, you know, as well as I do that in the Ventureverse, Pablo Escobar is like the Colombian drug lord version of Brisbane. <laughs> <laughs> Like he also has like a long time. Well, like, and our, I was gonna say like
2: uh, maybe that's the whole point of like the OSI and guild relationship is OSI gives the guild structure to tear down, right? And that's the whole point of the the arching like the protagonist antagonist structure. Uh,
1: Don't you mean protagonist? <laughs> uh,
2: but uh, who's it? Red Death talks about the gentleman villain. Right. And that's a whole different Mm -hmm. like, you know, market on like, you know, guys like Pablo Escobar. Like, sure, owning tigers is cool, but that doesn't make you a gentleman.
1: (laughs) No. And plus, dude, like even Colonel Gentleman like that dude is a stone cold killer. That dude is like James Bond, like he drinks to hide his pain like that dude is not enjoying life. He is throwing himself into it with wild abandon, hoping he doesn't make it out. (laughs) You know, like there is that there's a little bit of that there. Um, Of course, asking for the guns doesn't work out well. Uh, They end the henchmen end up throwing the monarch 21 and 24 and doc in jail into one of the cells. Um, And then we bounce over back to the mall where Dr. Girlfriend has the boys And she needs a car to go get her crazy ex-boyfriend. She orders Hank to drive, uh, saying that she just doesn't, she's like, I I shouldn't drive mad. Uh, Dean is surprised that she knows Brock uh, or his name. And this gets Dean to thinking that, and we touched on this before, that maybe she's their mother. Um, Of course, you know, this eventually anger is the girlfriend. She doesn't know at the time, but I love when she's, like, giving the keys to Hank and then she tells Dean to get in the back. She's like, don't be such a candy ass. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hold on. And then what lets the fire jets come out of the steering wheel, <laughs> right? There's a booby trap for someone who might accidentally drive Brock's car. How do you know this? And then she's like, I number twoed for Trucules. Okay? Now, this means that when we were running through Dr. Mrs. the Monarch's uh, list of names, there is one more name that we need to add to that list that we haven't discovered yet.
2: That's true. Um, and they actually bring it up in the commentary. Like, later on uh, down the line, you actually get to see Truckee Lees. And uh, they talk yeah. about how mm-hmm. gross he is. Like, you open the door and climb inside of him.
0: <laughs> Mini Van <laughs> right.
1: Did you just say mini Van Nerva? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Holy cow, that is so good. Wow. Wow, did you just come up with that? Oh, that is so as good. As soon as you
0: said it, I was like, oh, shit. She's got to be slightly smaller. Fuck, she's a mini, mini Van Nerva.
1: <laughs> oh, that is so good. Oh, wow. I'm. I- 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 bring it. <laughs> that is a high five well done sir well and well you know done.
2: what uh since it's not established canon like bam sold that's ours like yeah. we can headcanon that until they they you know prove us wrong
0: we will we will find a place for that somewhere uh in another project <laughs> i'm gonna make a note of that
2: we need to find <laughs> out the physical address like to astro Base Go and start in the saddest mail-in campaign <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like we would get some street cred by actually sending like snail mail, real things, just keep sending stuff. And it's just like there'll be a pile of stuff from us that they're just like. So, you, you know what we need? We need fan art of what Minnie Van Nerva looks like.
1: Yes, we there do. There we go. I got to tell you, Minnie Van Nerva sounds like Trucules. Like it sounds like she'd be like a warrior woman, but you know, Trucules is in the mood for something a little sportier. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'll come back to this. So we've got uh, actually this moment that uh, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch is about to share with the boys is actually one of my favorite interactions that they have with the (laughs) WP. And (laughs) this is great because she's telling Hank that he's, you know, what to do in order to drive. And she's being so parental about it. Like she is a phenomenal like, I don't like parent figure. And like, she's like, you see this, the, the pedal on the left, you got the pedal on the right. You see the diagram on the gear shift that tells you everything, where everything is. And it's like, I'm driving. We know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like he's just saying, I'm driving the same way he said, Mekishiva! 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 in a previous episode. So we've got, uh, hey yeah she, of course she's building him up she's like see the diagram with the number on it you can do this hank uh and of course from there we bounce over to the guy's still in jail and the monarch is flipping out it's like i can't believe i'm breathing the same air as my swan enemy oh dude i, I love the one yeah. line Thanks. i'm suffocating in my own hate
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Gary steps in as Peacemaker. It's like, you guys need to put aside your differences and work together. Let's get some weapons and take out those guys. We get back to the lair of the Phantom Limb, uh, who is using a muscle growth accelerator to restore uh, Brock's damaged muscles after he's been damaged from being shot, Uh, which apparently is very painful. And watching Phantom Limb torture Brock and then calling him a wuss is really funny. (laughs) Like just that interaction was really funny, but we also start seeing them kind of work out how they're going to be working together. Um, Phantom limb doesn't want this to be known because if this gets out, he's essentially his career is over Uh, Brock, you know, being the man that he is. uh, We get a little taste of this earlier in the trial, of the monarch too. Like, you know, they want this handled surgically and quietly. So Brock's kind of getting a chance to work with the guild here, you know, albeit you know the 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 B site guild, you know, it's like it's like the junior varsity (laughs) team, but he's still playing, right? Um, So in they're back in jail. Twenty one reveals that he's got a secret cache of weapons in his room, which which is right above the jail cell that they're in, and there is an air duct that they can climb through. Uh, They end up up there. Using a bunch of WD 40 because otherwise Gary wouldn't fix. Here's steps. my question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's my question. Gary's the last one up. He is covered in WD 40, at which point the monarch has to begrudgingly offer mad respect to Doc, who's like, yep, don't leave home without it. <laughs> right. Like, you wonder what he carries around in his pockets. Apparently, cans of WD 40 and diet pills well uh, here's okay? the thing
2: i want to know like uh, and i'm asking this as an open question no wrong answers why didn't the monarch just choke the shit out of doc like right then and there i mean from an arching perspective
1: do you honestly think the monarch wants to kill doc well I
2: the first time you know in college he makes it very clear yes
1: he doesn't want to kill
0: Doc. He's like the Joker in Batman. What would I be without him? <laughs> <you? laughs> maybe once he slipped and almost killed Batman, or maybe he tried to kill Batman the first time before he realized the fun of the game. But now that there's the game, why would you wreck the game? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, so they get up, and they get to take a look at 21's weapon stash, which, <laughs> when they open the, like... Um, I I know one of you paused this and went through and made a list. What did you find?
2: Uh so I actually was more focused on the uh outfits later. So the things you do see like you see a Captain America shield, uh obviously they reference the uh the which is named Sting by the way. Uh the posters
1: yeah. Superman. Um
2: And we know that Gary has other stuff in there uh, from, like, later on, um, you know, uh, when he's hanging out with Hank and, like, you know, they're talking about, like, his quisp bust and the goatee comes off and he puts it on and, like, Hank puts it on and all that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, no, my favorite thing is, like, when they're gearing up, if you paid attention, there's actually, like, a little theme. Right? So, you've got Magneto helmet. Right? You've got Hulk Mm -hmm. fist. Right, you've got mm-hmm. Captain America shield, and then you've mm-hmm. got Lord of the Rings sword. So, <laughs> In yeah. The box. So it's like mirroring the whole like. Maybe it's one of the the like couch gags on Venture. Like they're doing costuming, and like Hanks the Bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they're always going to do yeah. a group of four yeah. and
1: one odd guy out. Dorothy, Tin Man, Scarecrow, and the <laughs> Bat. Leonardo, Donatello, <laughs> Raphael, and the Bat. Ace Freely, Pete, Chris, <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, Paul Stanley, Dude, and the you Bat.
2: know I actually that's one of the things I very much relate to. I was Batman like six years in a row as a kid, like pretty much the majority of my like uh, appropriate
1: uh, trick or treating career. I love the way you say six years in a row when you were a kid, like that didn't end two years ago.
2: Listen, I don't dress up for Batman for Halloween as an adult, I dress up for Batman on Wednesdays. As
1: Batman, (laughs) 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 right? (laughs) Yep, dad, you will address me as the bat. Where are the keys? Where are the keys?
2: (laughs) The kid's like, I'm thirsty. Where did you I'm thirsty and they turn around And I'm not there it's like I hate it when he does that
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> So this is where we get that Great interaction between uh, The monarch and Dr. Venture Oh I'm sorry before that uh, They opens up the weapon stash Is like is this them and Gary Corrects him with are these they And then like
2: the best like alright so Not only is that gold but then Like 24 doubles down who talks Like that the monarch sh- like shambles up <laughs> behind him. Are these they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And then his little fight with Doc, and he's like, nice onesie, dick. <laughs> Maybe they'll think you're a three-year-old with Pajiri. <laughs> oh, it was so good. The Lord of the Rings left like a sword. Mint in box. Uh, and, of course, then we bounce back over to uh, Phantom Limb and uh, and Brock. Well, well, before
2: we, and we do that, just, I want to take can a little side it- note on... You
1: are all. Yeah, no, I,
2: I absolutely am. Um, because this is great. So the three-year-old with progeria thing. Um, so I had to look up. First off, progeria is where you age rapidly, (laughs) right? And I, I only learned this, um, from the Fight Club Two comic, because what happens is (laughs) they. they militarize the make a wish foundation and a bunch of kids with progeria <laughs> launch like a full frontal assault using their wishes oh,
0: <laughs> oh okay venture trivia can you name the other scene that has a progeria kid joke oh, mm. i know i imagine it's got billy quizboy and sergeant hatred no you've got brock and you've got hunter and they are um Talking about some very, very sad, sad breaths. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) i was was just watching that earlier today. They make another Pajeria kid
1: Mournful. I just want to get two little
2: coffins and give them a nice burial.
0: (laughs) Apparently, they've got things Pajeria kid jokes. Oh, well,
2: and if you remember so, uh, Fight Club, like the thing about it was, you remember Chloe? Chloe is yeah. actually like the general of the Progeria army. Like, come to find out she was faking it in Fight Club the whole time as well. Yeah. Wow. Twist.
1: Was everybody in there f- faking it? Uh,
2: well, I mean, except for the, the kids who got the Progeria wishes. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So we got <laughs> worst GD ever. I...
1: <laughs> You're starting to hit that moment again where I'm starting to doubt my my commitment to Sparkle motion. <laughs> <sighs> so we bounce into... Uh, Brock and Hamilton having a discussion and you can tell exactly what they're talking about. He, Brock's like, like a scar, like around the nipple or the belly button, which the Phantom like, nothing but nectar, right? And then Brock's starting to give him grief. He's like, eh, maybe she went with the Monarch because uh, the Monarch's better equipped. And of course, Hamilton's like, no, you're in the lair. We have the most advanced technology. And Brock's like, you totally missed what I'm talking about, bro. And then Phantom Limbs like, she was kidnapped. (laughs) And, of course, from there, we bounce over to Sheila driving with the boys. And this is just so good. Hank, of course, is Mecca Shiva. I'm a driver. I'm a driver. (laughs) Right? And she's telling him to turn right. And she's like, how do you know where to go? I put a tracer on him. Oh, did you put it on like his ear or something? So he's like, No, 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 no. I put it in my mouth and then I kissed him on the Well, you do things like that when you date a supervillain. Right? <laughs> so it's clearly up his ass. Right? And I mean, well, she like he stuck a tracer there. And apparently it hasn't come out. Uh, yet. Well, that's the one thing I'm
2: concerned about. Um I mean
1: <laughs> I'm concerned about his gut. Well, health.
2: like uh, you know, this is this is, you know, the twenty-first century. You know, uh, getting your doorbell rang during a little bit of like oral sex is not like a a taboo thing anymore.
1: Getting your doorbell, yeah, the, the rang? back
2: doorbell, the balloon knot.
1: <laughs> wow, that is the first time I've heard that. The
2: first okay. time you heard there's a there's a white stripe song.
1: I've, I I apparently my experience with that song was very different. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you you could tell where my head, or well, my where their fingers
1: at, as it were. Um. So we've got Doctor Girlfriend telling Hank where to go, and while this is happening, we've got Brock and Phantom Limb in the cocoon after they took off with their helicopter packs, uh, fought several of the guards. Uh, Brock is thrilled with the net cannon, and he's starting to give Phantom Limb some props too. It's like that killer hand thing is cool. And then we get a brief glimpse of the mullet reappearing, uh, Although it is still not where it re- needs to be.
0: Um, we also got a little bit of cool backstory on the uh, the hands because he does mention the fact that no, he can't give him those. Those are uh, botched science experiment that also made him all evil, which Brock
1: uh, totally called.
0: Oh, no. dude!
2: And I, I love that that talk. Like, oh, you just you have a bad experiment and you're suddenly you're all you get over it
1: (laughs) (laughs) suddenly you buy a bunch of spandex and start committing crimes get over yourself yeah yeah um i love that they do the go for help right so remember in thor ragnarok (laughs) where thor's with loki and it's like you know he's hurt call for help and then he (laughs) throws the loki at the bad guys they kind of do the same thing here because what happens is uh you know we'll do run for help right uh so (laughs) phantom limbs like just follow my lead and he throws himself on the ground Now remember phantom limbs limbs are invisible okay you can't see them although he can stand on them he can walk with them he can kill with so he flops down and starts delivering the worst, like, community theater Shakespeare version of a dying man. Like, Villan, I wondered if you could give us a little bit of insight into this particular performance.
0: It was a quite moving rendition of um, a, a, a Last Dying Gasp on a Battlefield. It's something reminiscent of someone who had had all their limbs blown off. Um, As I Lay uh, Dying <laughs> <you go>. meets <laughs> The Black Knight. Honestly, though, you, you you got me stuck because now that you brought up Thor and being the total comic book nerd I am, I'm just remembering another great arching at a um, sort of a community theater at the uh, Thor Ragnarok when uh, Thor shows up and Loki's got the whole performance going on. Mm-hmm. Thor just comes in and arches the living hell out of a community theater production. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if I possibly, subliminally stole the idea from Thor, which actually would be kind of cool uh because not the most likely source for a community theater arching no but
1: you know it it is the inspiration you find in the most unlikely places that proves to be the most fruitful and bounteous
2: you know that there is a whole episode of how i met your mother about community theater arching (laughs) what yes on both sides of the line barney arches somebody's performance at a community theater and then in turn arches everybody else by hosting a performance art piece at the community theater it's really brilliant in terms of like the the art and science of arching this was just
1: (laughs) (laughs) so we've got brock coming out as he's a phantom limb is flopped on the floor dying apparently and he's like, come on, put him out of his misery. You won't do it, fine, give me your guns. The guys give Brock their guns. Phantom Limb reaches out, grabs their feet, kills them. And Brock and Phantom Limb have done a combo takedown. Right? Well, and
2: how silly does the monarch feel like when all he had to throw on some absurd community theater just to get their guns? Right. This whole thing could have been saved if they would have, like, you know just done My a scene lady, from like the pirates of pins <laughs> the pirates of pins dance <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> into the yeah. woods i mean so
1: uh at this point the phantom Lim is appreciating how brock killed the guy with his own finger <laughs> 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 which is
2: reminiscent of uh, the one uh, bit in uh, the sargasso mm-hmm. episode I told you I really wanted to. I told
1: you what I would do for that. <laughs> uh, fun fact.
2: Like Brock really knows how to humiliate fact, a guy. The, uh,
1: the track that our opening sequence uh, om- like utilizes in its own special way is uh, a track called "Ass Clant. <laughs> <laughs> I love JJ Darwell. That guy is so freaking good. <laughs> So freaking good.
2: Dude, Brock's Brock's ass and its gator-like strength has its own theme yeah. on the show. Yeah.
1: That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> so you pucker up, sweetheart, because then we hear a little bit of noise at which Brock's at which point Brock's superpower revs into action and he shouts, My car! And then the car comes crashing into the cocoon, into where everyone's at, and Hank pops out so thrilled brock i drove and we see dr girlfriend <laughs> with dean still cowering
0: in the back so i've been dying to mention this all episode and i've been holding it back till this point i actually do have one other one i've been holding back brock didn't know somebody he was in his car isn't that brock's power he always knows when someone's in his car well and you know
2: i thought about that myself watching the episode and the only kind of like headcanon i can come up with that is that uh a, he's probably distracted by being, like, you know, shot. Fair. You know, Fair. that could have all happened, you know, uh, his, his Brock sense. And also, like, is that power like a Samson? Because He is Samson. So is that power tied directly oh, to his perhaps. Mullet?
1: Maybe he only has it. Maybe the mullet is the antenna for his car's waves of uh, occupancy.
2: Because, I mean, he heard it. Like, he knows the particular engine pitch, of adrian and that's a whole thing like uh did you know that harleys go through an acoustic test for quality to make sure it sounds like a harley that makes sense. no yeah they put them all like you know they have like a an acoustic tunnel and they put the mics in like the you know the exhaust and the whole nine and yeah to make it sound like you know make sure it sounds mechanically we need to make like sure, sure this sounds like
1: it's going to need work every couple of months <laughs> right
2: But I mean, uh, it's one of those things like motorcycle guys very much can tell you a lot by just the sound of it. And so I can imagine Brock knows what like his, his, uh, you know,
1: his baby bird
3: sounds
2: Mm -hmm. like in the wild, you know?
1: Absolutely. So we've got at this point, all the new henchmen are disarmed, dead or dying. We've got Brock, Phantom Limb, Dr. X girlfriend, Hank, and dean all in a room the only people we're missing now are the monarch Doc, 21 and 24 who are on the other side of the door getting ready to burst into the room having heard some of the ruckus and commotion and this is where we get one of the more interesting monarch moments uh so we've got the monarch in Hulk cans okay uh I, who, who is it uh, 21 who's got the magneto helmet uh, Doc has got the Captain America shield like
2: no no Doc has the okay. Magneto <laughs> helmet because he's also has the magic <laughs> yeah, gathering <that's> cards right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like yeah if you, fu- you throw one of those in with a somebody's face yeah. and they catch they're a corner yeah.
1: um, and then the monarch's like who would like to lead us in prayer like everybody put their hands in <laughs>
2: Well, and I think that that's a gag specifically just to, to get, like, the Hulk punch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody hands it, smash, period, <laughs> yeah. Human.
1: yeah. So at this point, uh, they burst through the door, and we get a whole bunch of yelling and a Wilhelm scream before it fades to black, okay? And then at the end of the credits, we get our shwarma, and that's when the monarch is, who is the first one out the door... <laughs> is just, uh, like, I wanted to destroy something beautiful level bad. Like, it's not <laughs> pretty.
2: Again, to his credit, he led them he into did, battle.
1: and he led with his face. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Girlfriend is, like, trying to clean him up a little bit. You know, she's double-checking. Yeah, he's alive. Uh, And Phantom, she's trying to convince Phantom Lim not to, like, kill the Monarch, to press charges. The guy's barely alive, Uh, pretty much saying that, you know, the Monarch just did it out of love. And Phantom Lim replies, uh, wait a minute. You never told me to put a trace on another man before, (laughs) right? (laughs) Implying that perhaps Sheila had been previously, uh, she'd been making sure that she could keep tabs on him the same way she kept tabs on the Monarch. Uh, and, of course, Phantom Limb's like, uh, he's only a man and no man is immune to your charms. And Brock starts coming back again with some of his, like, some of his stuff, at which point Phantom Limb shoots him with a tranquilizer dart. And when everybody kind of gives him the stank eye, he's like, what? I'm a supervillain. Fade to black, episode done. So let's take this moment to reflect on what you learned about the monarch during this episode.
0: Well, real, real quick, only because it's been coming up over and over again, and it was something that they mentioned as the inspiration for the episode. Um, did this episode solidify Phantom Limb as being a formidable uh, adversary when you're, you're looking for your good guys and all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's Phantom Limb on the other side? Because they wanted to legitimize him by pairing him up with Brock because they were like, take the biggest, baddest character we've got and basically give, get, get Brock to give him the nod of approval. Do you think that improved your image of Phantom Limb before we get into the monarch of it all? Phantom
1: Limb is a dick. Like, it didn't make me. <laughs> a giant invisible. Yeah, like, dick. Phantom Limb. This didn't make me think that Phantom Limb was this, like, super badass who, like, come on. Phantom Limb's big move was throwing himself on the ground and pretending to be helpless. Like,
3: uh
2: phantom limb strikes me as like the frazier of <laughs> right. villainy, uh you know and don't get me wrong perfectly competent and capable but i think more so what this is really setting up is we well, are finding out like the relationship between doc and the monarch is not yet yeah, sure on paper like you know with the forms filled out and shit like it's you know official like Aficional? antagonism but i mean not even a. That's, that's official of antagonism official <laughs> so what you're really getting here is phantom limb being set up as like the long term antagonist for the monarch mm-hmm. um, you know uh, especially like coming up on the you know end of the season and that's going to be our our next step in the, the passions of the monarch is the uh Showdown at Cremation Creek Part mm-hmm. 1 and 2. Um, and, you know, Phantom Limb is absolutely, like, the bad guy there. And I think that this is early enough in the season that, uh, you know, that's the whole point is to start setting him up as, A, a legitimate threat, and, B, actual, like, you know, foil to the monarch. And it's hard to develop that when they're both villains, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you you throw, uh you know, a love triangle in there.
1: Yeah, and it certainly made the Monarch versus Phantom Limb something that absolutely plays out. They are complete opposites. They are 100% diametrically opposed. And you brought this up earlier with the you know, Phantom Limb being this classy guy who goes to the mall to buy super expensive, like, Santu- Santuco knives. Um, and you've also got the Monarch, whose hatred is all-consuming, and does not leave room for anything else.
2: You know, and uh, what I, what I love about it is uh, it really just shows how helpless the Monarch is without Dr. Girlfriend. Dr. Girlfriend is clearly, like, the brains and the strategy, the dispassionate logic, um, whereas, like, Monarch brings,
1: like, the heat, the fire, the passion. Yeah, 100%. So we've seen now that uh, that Phantom Limb, they were trying to set Phantom Limb up as essentially the monarch's internal arch. He's competing for Dr. Ex-Girlfriend's love against Phantom Limb. And Phantom Limb is everything the monarch is not. The monarch is everything that Phantom Limb is not. Phantom Limb is calm, cold, dispassionate, ruthless. The monarch is passionate, Uh, Like the Phantom Limb is the cold, dead eyes of a shark right before it eats you. And the Monarch is the flames riding up the trail of gasoline to your motorcycle as you try to drive away.
2: Well, I mean, and how long did we even go in the series? Like you don't even find out who uh, Phantom Limb's like arch nemesis is until season seven. You know, and and like the choice in it was awesome. Like, you know, come to find out, like, uh, you know, that's Hunter's, uh, you know, kind of white whale that way. And I love how they finally settle all that out. Mm -hmm. We'll cover that later. Uh, (laughs) But um, no, uh, this really shows you a lot of like uh, the dynamic interactions with the monarch. Like he clearly has an affinity for. 24 and 21 and this is where you get that sense of like it's starting to congeal and coalesce and then 24 and 21 become his like strangely like you know most indispensable guys yeah. you know so they're like, indispensable that interaction because they don't let them. themselves
1: be dispensed <laughs> <laughs> when everybody else is off dying <laughs> they're hiding in the monarch mobile rubbing snack on their face <laughs>
2: Well, and I think the monarch would respect yeah. that. Yeah,
1: okay. All right. Um, we also get to see the monarch and Doc really engage casually. Uh, and we also get to see the monarch in his, like, firmest rage sickle. Like, he is going through with no compunction. The uh, – what is it? He's, he's choking on his rage. Like uh, –
2: he's he's straight up having like a panic attack from being so close to what was it they said
1: in the, the child of the monarch a conniption fit of pure hatred right like he is having that we actually get to see the monarch in every flavor in this episode we get to see the monarch that is just pure egomaniacal we get to see the monarch that is weak and afraid to live without Sheila. We get to see him beg her to come back to him. We get to see him arch Dr. Venture. We get to see him get really close to succeeding. We get to see him defeated by his own henchmen and victorious at getting everything back up and running again. Like we have actually covered everything that we've seen in almost every other episode with the monarch in this one episode. Like, this is a really good episode choice because we get to see the Monarch reacting to everything because everything happens to him in this episode.
2: Well, and the title of the episode tells you everything you need to know about Monarch. Hate Mm -hmm. floats. It's buoyant. You know, and what I love about this is this is an obvious reference to uh, very popular. Yeah, like Sandra Bullock movie, Hope Floats. (laughs) I mean, I was going to say, like, the premise. uh, I, I don't buy the premise of Hope Floats. Because you know what else floats? Shit. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's not a great thing. But when you say hate floats, well, that makes more sense to me.
1: (laughs) I've always thought of hate as being very oily. So I imagine it would sit right on top of the water.
2: You and David Lynch. (laughs) Yeah, we almost made it a whole episode without me talking about Twin Peaks. Keyword, almost.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh... Vaughn do you have anything you'd like to throw in here at the very end?
0: Honestly, you kind of you, you 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 summed it up. You're right. We this is an episode where we do get to see absolutely every single side of him, uh, and I think I think the one major thing with that that they really kind of pointed out with is, uh, and we didn't mention them, is the awesome little monarch, uh, the mighty monarch. Fucking. Oh uh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Um, it's one touch away from. I can't remember if I'm imagining this, but I know they constantly are doing the reopenings. But isn't there an episode where they do a full blown, uh, Venture Brothers opening? But it's uh, all in purple with the monarch running around. Am I imagining this?
2: No. Uh, that happens a little bit later on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's one of the better like visual gags. Like, and you know, again, we just uh, in terms of where this episode's at, we saw that uh, with. You know the the Venture Brothers in terms of Doc and Jonas Jr. And then, uh, yeah, later on they'd even do the big burst with the the skull, and it turns into like the mm-hmm. butterflies. Yeah, no, I love that they're not afraid to play around with the title There's sequence. There's something about that, which...
0: those little touches which you really do appreciate. Like any show that does those little things, I always love even Halloween episodes when they just do the Halloween version of the opening. Uh, I mean, Oh, dude, or uh,
2: Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah,
1: because they introduce you to every place you're going in the episode during the intro.
0: Use those little moments. Yeah,
2: Uh, Westworld has a, theirs is a little bit more season to season, but they've got a really good, like, kind of evolving title sequence as well.
1: Uh, I, by the way, love this. I love that each season kind of gets its own little update. Like, it's something that I'm glad that we're seeing. Because the work that is done on the title sequences is worthy of recognition, and it used to be you could do one and then you just had it, and it would go through, and you might get it updated. Like I mean, and it, even the title song. Like how many how many additional title songs did Moesha get? Like I think they had a different title, ver- a different version of the title song for every season they were on, and you know it. Like yeah. that's I like that. I like it when you get these these distinctions that really just kind of (laughs) help you.
2: I just realized that is very much a sign of the fact you lived in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) UPN, man. man, UPN was all over the place. It (laughs) wasn't just
1: in Chicago. Uh, But with that being said, uh, we have reached the end of our episode. And so, from me, your co-host, the indomitable Brock Savage, with me, as always, has been and continues to remain my longtime companda, Beast Lamode, and we were joined this week by the community theater stylings of Hamilton Phantomos, destroying, uh, arch nemesis of poor Shakespearean acting, the villain. So... By the way, did you know that that play Hamilton is not about I pantom- was so pantomime. disappointed, dude. I know we're here at the end of the episode. Did I tell you? <laughs> did I tell you that uh, my wife took me to go see Phantom of the Opera, and uh, I'd never seen it before, right? She really likes musical theater. I'm a dude, okay? So we are going. We're sitting there, and at one point. I am listening to a song called Music of the Night, and I have heard this song before. And I realize that this brilliant song, widely regarded as one of the finest works of musical theater, right, uh, is none other than fucking Fish Heads from Dr. Demento. Actually, I want to say you've brought this up before, because
2: I remember writing it into the summary of one of the episodes.
1: It (laughs) blew my mind. So when we're talking about being able to turn something around and make it something good, I hope we can do the same thing with this podcast that Andrew Lloyd Webber did with Fish Heads. (laughs) We can take this podcast and turn it into something
0: that people will see
1: from the rooftops.
0: Well, that's better than what I did at Phantom of the Opera. I just went and yelled, Phantoms aren't real, and then left. Didn't really uh, help the show at all. Yours yours seems a little bit more inspirational, though.
2: (laughs) One time I crop dusted a performance (laughs) of Oklahoma.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're taking notes but
0: <laughs> uh,
3: I thinking I just showed up
0: in like Nebraska gear, but you know, shit. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I wasn't trying to get. Right.
1: <laughs> well, on that note, thank you guys for joining us. Have a great night and better luck arching next time. With that being said, please join me in what will probably be our very worst Go Team Venture
3: ever. (laughs) Go Team team Venture. Venture.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You can't forecast it and then not
3: expect it to happen. Did we just crop dust our work on it? it? Yeah.
2: Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beesla Mode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaudevillen. Edited by Beesla Mode and Vaudevillen. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at at Conject tech underscore pot. And go Team Venture!
1: Are we ready to begin, or do we want to warm up a little? Like the, uh, the, uh, the vocal equivalent of a fluffer
2: you know man fluffing was a lot more involved than i thought it was
1: i'm sure like everything there's an art to it
2: (laughs) i didn't expect there to be so many
1: clowns (laughs) when they said send in the clowns we had no idea what they were really talking about so i learned what blackbird by paul mccartney was written about today Uh, a black bird? Yeah, 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 but the (laughs) specific situation, do you know what, so bird obviously is a woman, I knew it was about, it was about an African American woman, but I didn't understand the context, because I'd heard that for years, but I never heard the actual story, the actual story is that they were in the south, they were in Arkansas, and they saw a woman, a black woman, being who was handcuffed, being beaten mercilessly by the police. And he was like, man, she must have done something horrible. Turns out what she had done was sit in the whites-only section. Oh, shit. Yeah. So that song was inspired by him witnessing that and finding out what was going on. He was so horrified by what he'd seen.
2: That's a... Uh... That's pretty intense. Um, uh,
1: what was it? Just a little while ago, he actually did a show back in Arkansas and invited the woman. He'd found out who she was and invited the woman to come meet him. Oh, that's the really woman neat. Who had inspired yeah, so and shared a picture of it.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say there better be something uplifting at the end of this. You're all like, Uh, let's warm up. So, like, you know, here's (laughs) the, here's something really deep. You
1: you know what's uplifting about this? Here we are. Like, that song, you know, uh, it it got me thinking about the way songs impact people and how this is a conversation I had with Ha One today about how an artist's intent has nothing to do with your enjoyment of the work, but there are some intents that are inseparable from the work. Um, and in this particular instance, Blackbird does not, you don't need to know anything about the intent to enjoy the song. Like I remember, remember, wait, wait, being wait, wait, used...
2: you mean to tell me David Allen Coe wasn't being metaphorical?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. When he said, I'm going to fuck the shit out of you, what he really meant was, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, because one of the few instances that really stand out for me for the use of Blackbird in television or film was uh, when in the TV show Roseanne when her baby dies, right? And that was the song that they played. Of course, like, it was really, like, it was a powerful choice for that, right? Because birds in film and art are often representations of the soul, right? They're flying up. So it was actually a really... Good choice for that, but you know, of course, it's completely independent of the context. And you know, given Roseanne's interesting history with this, I wonder uh, if the context is even more dynamic now than ever. I'm feeling reflective she's not, she's not tonight. I apologize. You are very, <laughs> very reflective. Um, I'm like I don't. I'm like looking glass at how reflective I am right now.
2: I, well, I don't know if you know this, but as if, you know. <laughs> if you take uh. Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. <laughs> um, nah, man, uh, I'll be honest with you, I actually, um, <laughs> and you've known me for a while, so you know how much of, like, a, a music snob I was? Was? Am? am. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, I, I don't know, I've definitely been going back on a kind of, uh, greatest hits tour almost like picking out just albums that uh i feel like i need right now
0: um uh, i 100 percent agree with that i was going through and today i went on a bike ride and i was like i haven't listened to beck guerrero in probably two or three years and i popped it onto my phone and it was just like a nice little cathartic memory touch and it it, it served a real purpose today
2: oh dude like beck is definitely like hands down one of my favorite i mean Okay, mean, arrow. <laughs> Me and Savage love Deborah.
1: So that's off of Midnight Vultures and Deborah is mm-hmm. one of, it's my favorite Beck song and one of my favorite songs of all time, which is saying a lot because like mm-hmm. I've got a lot of favorite songs, but there are a few that really hit that, that apotheosis, that absolute apogee of awesome. And when we are looking at how songs play out over time it's actually a really special thing like so years ago uh, th- do you guys remember when people were like describe your job in five words
3: yeah yeah
1: yeah I came up with I sling memories for drugs and <laughs> what I what I the, the power and truth of that statement is that music has the ability to transcend time and space? You can hear a song that you haven't heard in a decade or two, and immediately be transported back to those feelings that you were so enamored with that really made that music special for you in the first place. One of the things, and this is super macabre, uh, you know. Pardon me while I get on my looking glass for a second, but uh like I, I have this running Never project gonna
2: dance again. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> I have this running project in my head about songs for people's funerals. Right? <laughs> like what songs would I play at my mother's funeral or my father's funeral? What songs would speak to the love that you share with a person and the the pain of their passing? Something they would love that speaks to the bittersweet
0: uh poignancy of that moment so i've got a perfect absolute one for this Uh, my uncle passed away when i was probably about 16 17 and he was a massive jimi hendrix fan and he actually committed suicide kind of in one of the most badass ways i could possibly imagine he loved the ocean and he just decided to go down with a snorkel and then said fuck the snorkel and uh, at his funeral, they played uh, Little Wing. Uh, somebody came out with an acoustic mm. guitar and did that. And that was the only music played at the funeral. Everything else was uh, prepared speeches and stuff like that. Um, I was like, that was just the right touch. It's something he would have wanted. And it worked for the mood and the moment. And the person who came out and did it, like they they played it at the right way to hit the right way Mm -hmm. Um, and i feel like that's another one you can do is just also tonally changing the song itself to really kind of hone in on the moment yeah uh by having live performers you can do that kind of thing i've always got because i happened when i was so young i was just like shit Mm -hmm. i've been weirdly thinking about somewhat the same thing for a long time and it is interesting because then i look at my other half and it's english and the most requested song in the uk to this day for funerals, is uh, always look on the bright side of life. The Monty Python. Side. Oh, I thought
1: you were going to say <laughs> Sex on Fire by Kings of Leon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the. the um, I the thought it was just a barbershop Michael. quartet
2: coming in doing dirty Irish limericks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: greatest hits from the end of uh, whose line is it anyway basically no it's right. actually the uh
1: it's actually it's the uh it's the irish song from uh, dennis leary's no cure for cancer oh yeah <laughs> no we asshole. have no heads no we have no heads
2: oh god all right well we're not like uh, proper recording we're,
1: no we're, we're recording gosh of all right, that's five bucks I, So Vagano have, I, have I shown
2: you guys the uh, my my swear jar?
0: <laughs> oh, you have a counter. Hang on.
1: The Nice. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> 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 oh shit! I got my uh, my Thanos shirt on. Yes, today. you do. <laughs> I am
1: uh, a <laughs> old battle shorts.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Savage. Uh, let's say I pass away,
1: New World saving
2: War. a a school bus full of, of puppies and nuns um, or setting fire to rob Liefeld's house
1: oh i oh i already know what the i already know what song you're going to get
2: no the i want like a 5
1: from, the the opening scene the opening theme from scrubs <laughs> i
2: hate you <laughs> <laughs> like going on decades, almost two decades, and the best you can muster is I'm like, I'll... oh, I Mr. Saving a Lego. school
1: bus of nuns and puppies. Yeah, you're, you're getting the opening theme from Scrubs. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't want to fantasize
2: anything too realistic about my dad. <laughs> All right. So uh, you want to go? You want to do you want to play this game? All right. So I have a coronary in my sleep at like the age of going on what little bit I know about my father's side of the family. Uh, genetically speaking, I'm ballparking around 74.
1: Uh, so Martika, toy soldiers. Step Are you arching me right step. now? Heart to heart. Left, You're arching right, me right left. now. We all fall down. <laughs> um, so if I were going to pick
2: You know what? If you go before me, I'm playing Limp Biscuit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. You wanna When I say there? Limp
2: Biscuit,
0: I mean the catalogue.
1: No, no, no. If, if you want to go there, buddy, you're
0: getting William Hung. Oh! Uh, we got banned from playing that at my bar. Uh, it plays into the parking lot and uh, the neighboring businesses complained. <laughs> Somebody downloaded into the jukebox down there and uh, one of my bartenders found the entire collection of William Hung and that lasted for about two and a half weeks.
2: You know what? Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, after we're done, uh doing this maybe maybe tomorrow i'm gonna start on a spotify playlist uh songs to arch people with <laughs> right. like um okay uh, obviously like the the william hung ricky martin cover is a good one uh limp biscuit and then you have songs that were actually used to arch people right like yeah. uh when like they, everybody's like...
1: heard about the bird
2: uh, well and uh well, what was it uh Panama? Oh
1: yeah.
3: Uh oh, yeah, like